plexiglass pulpit and not a glass pulpit, it probably wouldn't have made it. But that was beautiful, wasn't it? And uh, worship was just fantastic this morning. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to all of you. We've got a, a few ladies I want to uh, recognize this morning and say that we're glad you're here. Holly's sister, Lena, is with us. And I tell you, she loves this church and is so glad to be here. And we're glad that you're here, Lena. God bless you. It's good to have Miss Betty with us, Johnny's sister. We couldn't do adopt a family without Miss Betty. And so we're glad Betty's with us. And uh, certainly glad Lisa Edgman is here today. This time last week, Lisa was at Mercy Hospital. Uh, she had suffered a heart attack and had a stent put in. Today she's back where she belongs, and that's in the Lord's house. Lisa, we love you and we're praying for you. Give Lisa a big hand for being here today too. Today I want to be in John's Gospel, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. And over the next couple of Sundays before Christmas, we will look at verses 1 through 18 in John chapter 1. This is called the prologue to the Gospel of John. Let me read it to you out of the New King James Version. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, You would speak Your Word into our hearts today. And Lord, as I try to speak on the outside, I pray that You would speak on the inside. Help us to understand this morning like never before who You are and what You have done for us. And we'll praise You for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of our old hymns says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seems hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Well, Christmas season gives us a splendid opportunity to both hear and tell that old, old story. It is a story told in the Gospels four different times by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In many ways, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are parallels to one another. Theologians call them the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means to see things the same way. John's Gospel, however, gives us a very distinctive portrait of Jesus that is not found in those other three Gospels. This prologue to John's Gospel, verses 1 through 18 in John chapter 1, is considered one of history's greatest theological documents. The Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren called the prologue of John's Gospel the deepest part of Scripture. Arguably, the most profoundly theological passage that we find in the entire Bible. And it gives us a very different view of the birth of Jesus Christ. Think of it like this. When we open Matthew's Gospel, he begins telling us how Christ came into the world. And his viewpoint is very Jewish. And he almost seems to be telling the story from the perspective of Joseph the carpenter. Mark decided to open his account of the life of Christ with our Lord's baptism. And he really just deals with Christ's ministry and says very little about the nativity. 
Luke, who was an outstanding historian, gives us the story of the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective. And I really believe that he himself interviewed the Virgin Mary and incorporated her account into the Gospel. In fact, when you read Luke 1 and 2, I think it's as though you were sitting down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and listening to her describe these events from her own memory. But then you turn to John, and he gives us a different perspective of our Lord's entrance into this world. He really interprets those events to us from our Heavenly Father's perspective. So really, here you have a wonderful trio of perspectives. Matthew tells us of the birth of Christ from Joseph's perspective. Luke tells us of the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective. And John tells us about the birth of Christ from our Heavenly Father's perspective. And the Heavenly Father's perspective begins with the identity of His Son, Jesus Christ. John begins his Gospel with what is arguably the most profound series of sentences ever written in the entire sweep and scope of human literature about the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, his very first sentence is a blockbuster. In the beginning was the Word. And that Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And church, here's what I'd like to do between now and Christmas. I want you to see Jesus for who He really is. If you're already a believer, I want you to adore Him, and treasure Him, and delight in Him, and glorify in Him more than you ever have before in your life. I want you to see Jesus for who He really is and what He has done specifically for you. But if you're here and you're not a believer, I want you to be moved to the very core of your being so that you receive God's gift of Jesus Christ in your own personal life and you are transformed by His life and life. That incidentally is the motivation of the Apostle John as he writes. For he tells us at the end of his Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. You see, Jesus is the one who came from heaven to make it possible for us to go to heaven. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to the Father except that He come through Me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And Jesus is the only way you can have a personal relationship with God Himself. Now, this passage tells us about Jesus. It tells us about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus is doing. All right? So let's look at those three things. First of all, it deals with His identity. Just who is Jesus Christ? You know, I remember the story of the mother who was working in her kitchen as her little son was drawing pictures at the kitchen table. The mother asked him, what are you drawing, son? And he said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, well, 
how can you do that? Nobody knows what God looks like. And without missing a lick, he said, well, they will when I get finished. Hmm. Here's this picture that John drew of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, folks, that, that is so significant. That, that verse is just as significant as the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Steve Tabor, my Sunday school teacher, used to say, if you get that verse, you got it all. I mean, if you understand that, that truth, that there was nothing before, but when God said it, it came into existence. If you can understand and believe that, you get the rest of the book. You can easily understand everything else. Just as significant as Genesis 1-1 is John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus Christ. So church, we need to understand today that this is the basis of why we are here and who we are. It's Jesus. And if we don't understand this about Jesus, who He is, then we just miss the boat. This verse tells us that Jesus was and is God eternal. When a baby is born in the hospitals these days, they put a little bracelet around the wrist of the baby to identify that child so that the child is not misplaced and put with a different mother or different family. Well, baby Jesus didn't have a bracelet put around his wrist in the manger, but had he had one, when Mary and Joseph looked at that bracelet around baby Jesus' wrist, it would have simply said, God. Because that's who He is. He is God eternal. Verse 1a, In the beginning was the Word. Now what an interesting way to describe Jesus. I'm so thankful that Matt read the, the Nativity. That, that came from Matthew and Luke's Gospel with the help of some of our people in the congregation. That's the story that we traditionally read at Christmas season, isn't it? Because it tells us about this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. John does it totally different. This baby in Bethlehem's manger is called the Word in John's prologue. The Word. But you know what? John was really on to something here. Very powerful. Something that we need to know about the identity of this Jesus. John said He is God's Word. He is the Word, the voice of God. You see, words communicate our thoughts. My words this morning are trying to communicate to you some of the thoughts that are in my mind. They're jumbled up in my mind, so I hope that through the Holy Spirit speaking them out to you, you get them straight. <laughs> That's always my prayer. But I've got these thoughts in my head about this passage and about this Scripture. But my words are conveying my thoughts to you. You cannot separate a person from their thoughts. Words are important. Don't ever think they aren't, because they are. And people remember the words that we speak, even the words they wish we wish they would forget. They hang on to them. This is God's Word to us. Jesus. God is, is Jesus, and Jesus is God eternal. 
when time started, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were already there. When God created the world, Jesus was there. When God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus was there. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. He's always been. He always will be. Jesus is God eternal. He is the eternal voice of God the Father to mankind. But not only is Jesus God eternal, Jesus is God equal. Verse 1b, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so when it says that the Word was with God, it signifies the intimacy that exists in the Godhead. That is three persons in one. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 30, I and the the Father are one. Signifying three persons in one, the Trinity. I I know that concept kind of blows our mind and we have a hard time wrapping our head around that, but God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's called the Trinity, the three in one. They always have been. They always will be. Jesus is God. And I I know this is kind of theological. It's not kind of like the sermons I normally preach on Sunday morning. You're you're hoping I get through this and get to some stories because that's what you like to hear is the stories. Well, we need some theology every now and then. And this is basic theology 101. This is the exclusiveness of Christianity. We are the only religion on the face of the earth that believes Jesus is God. Every other religion, if they believe Jesus, they believe that Jesus was simply a created being, simply a good man, maybe a prophet equal to Moses or one of the other prophets. Christianity is the only religion that says Jesus is God. Now, why would we say that? Because that's what the Bible says about Him, all right? This is His identity. It's who He is. He is God eternal. He is God equal. But this passage goes on to talk about His activity, what He did. Look at verse 3. All things were made through Him. Did you get everything? All things. That's, that's, that's everything. All is all. Everything was made through Him, Jesus. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. It really, that's, that's pretty simple. He made it all. Jesus, Jesus made everything. You couple that with Colossians 1, 15 and 16, which says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. So what did Jesus do? Well, He made everything. He made everything. Jesus is Creator. Again, Colossians 1.16, For by Him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether they are thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through Him. They went through Jesus and they were created not only through Him, but for Him. Now remember we said that Jesus is the Word. So, so when Genesis tells us that God said, let there be light, the God said was the Word. It was Jesus. Well, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? What does that mean for you? That's the kind of preacher I am. I take these theological concepts and i got to break them down. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Well, it means this, that the God who spoke the world into order and created everything, the God that made it all, made me. He created me. He created you. Jesus spoke the Word and you came into existence. Everything was made through Him and for Him. So He made you for Himself. He made me for Himself. He is not only Creator though, He is Controller. He made it and He holds it in the palm of His hand. Did you notice in Colossians 1.15 that when it says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, that doesn't mean that there was a time when the Son of God didn't exist. Like before you were born, you didn't exist. No, that's not what firstborn means there. Firstborn is not a designation of beginning. It is rather a designation of being. This describes the Son of God's exalted position and rank. The firstborn in Jewish culture was the one who received the inheritance. That simply means that it's all for Jesus. Everything exists for Jesus. He's at the center of everything. This world revolves around Jesus. He made it. He's got it in His hand. Incidentally, Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and other cults see Jesus as a created being and therefore is not God. But you answer me one simple question. How could the one who created all things himself be created? It's impossible. And this verse says that thrones and powers and rulers and authorities were established by Jesus. Therefore, he is the controller of the controllers. He is the authority of the authorities. He is the king of all kings, and he is the ruler of all rulers. That's his activity. That's what he did. But again, you've got to think, well, what does that mean for me? Well, that's pretty awesome what it means for me. If He made all this that there is, it was made through Him and for Him, and if He not only made it, He holds it in His hands, and it exists for Him, it revolves around Him, that means that you and I are pretty important to Him. Because of everything that is created, mankind is at the top of the list. That's how much He thinks of us. That brings me to point number three, His ministry. 
It's not only who He is and what He's done, it's what He's doing. This is absolutely amazing. The One who is God, the One who embodies the wisdom and the thoughts and the mind of Almighty God, the One who created everything from nothing, this One who is the source of light and light for human beings actually wants and desires a relationship with me and with you. Listen to verses 4 and 5. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What is that saying? Well, that's telling us that Jesus, Jesus is two things. Jesus is life, and Jesus is light. First of all, it says, in Him was life. What a statement. In Him, in Jesus, is the life. Life comes from Him. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That life to live forever only comes from Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 10.10 The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Wow, that's amazing. You know what that tells me? That tells me that, that I really don't start living. Oh, wait, I'm alive, right? I mean, help me here. Am I? I? At least I think I am. I'm alive. But I really don't start living until I get life from the source of life. Jesus. He brings life. And this verse says He gives eternal life. Life everlasting. That, that led me to thinking last night when I was pondering this passage, that led me to think, you know what? The most important book besides the Bible, the other most important book is a book called The Lamb's Book of Life. It's a book that's kept in heaven. And on Judgment Day, God's going to pull that big massive book out and the names that are found in that book are the people who have been born again. They are the redeemed, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way, Galen, the only way your name can be in that book is if you accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you commit your life to Him and you live for Him. And on Judgment Day, God's going to open that book. And the Bible is very, very clear about this. Only those names written in the Lamb's book of life are going to get to go into heaven. That's a really important book, isn't it? And so the most important thing on life, in this life is to make sure your name's in that book. And the only way your name can be in that book is when you go to the source of life, Jesus Christ, and receive eternal life, God's gift to mankind, that free gift that you receive that from Him. We draw life from Jesus. That's the only way your name's going to get in that book. It's to be born again. I was telling first service, I just thought of this when I was preaching this sermon an hour ago. And sometimes when I tell stories, I just think of them. They're not, but you're wanting stories. I know, I know. You'd rather hear stories and theology. But anyway, I thought, I thought when I was preaching this a little while ago, you know, there's a lot of good people in our world today. A lot of bad people. Steve, there's a lot of bad people. We know that. But there's good people too. 
we just happened to watch on on TV was it was not before last, wasn't it? Uh, story about the best, the greatest quarterback who's ever played in the NFL. I mean, this guy was amazing. He was he was he was America's quarterback because he played on America's team. You know who I'm talking about? Old number twelve, Roger the Dodger Staubach. I mean. Anybody remember Roger Staubach? How many of y'all are really fans of Roger like me? Love Roger with all your heart. So, I used to. I used to, when I was a little kid, twelve years old. I wore a jersey number twelve. I was a Roger follower. My my wife, on the other hand, followed this guy named Francis <laughs> Francis Tarkington. I mean, how can you be? How can you be a great NFL quarterback when your name is Francis? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Anyway, we watched this show about this great quarterback, Roger Staubach. I knew all this stuff about him, but I'm telling you, there's a few times in this documentary it brought tears to my eyes. And this guy was literally, he was a great man, a really good guy. Uh, he, he said that when he was a little boy, seven years old, he, he stole something from a store. He, he was actually raised Roman Catholic, and so he stole this little, this little statue of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and took it home. And he said he realized when he got home that he had done something wrong. <laughs> And he said, you know what, after that, I never stole anything else in my life. But he was just a good guy. I mean, he lived a moral life. He cared about his country. He, after he graduated from the he, he went on to serve in Vietnam. He was a great soldier. He spent four years in the Army before he came back to be a quarterback in the NFL. He feared God and he served God. He loved his family. They were comparing him to some of the other quarterbacks of his day and before him, like Joe Namath, Joe Hollywood Joe, man. He, you know, Joe was known for womanizing and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was an interview that Staubach had and talked about that. And he said, well, you know what? I love my wife. You know? And in one year, he won this, uh, this great award and they were going to give him a Dodge. I think it was a Dodge Charger or Challenger and really cool car back then, a muscle car. And he says, no, I can't take that. He said, what we need is a station wagon. <laughs> I got a wife and some little kids. We need to haul them around. He was faithful to his wife, faithful to his kids. I mean, just a good guy. Roger Staubach's one of the God family football. Wow. Really? A moral man. Now, why am I rambling on about this? Well, here's the thing it takes more than just being a good person to get your name into the Lamb's Book of Life. It takes a personal encounter with the life giver, Jesus Christ. And church, I know I'm belaboring the point, but you need to understand that this is a prerequisite. Jesus gives life. That is His ministry. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And the only way you can be found is by going to Him and receiving life from Him. Jesus is the life giver, but number two, He's also the light giver. Verse 4 says, That life was the light of men. You know what? On our own, we're just fumbling around in the darkness, aren't we? I mean, not only when the lights are out in the house and we bang around off of furniture trying to make it to the bathroom. That's just the way our life is. We're fumbling around in the darkness. We certainly can't create our own light nor do we have the power to run our own light. It takes a power source greater than anything we have. I don't know a whole lot about electricity. Um, 
All I know about it is that if you have something that is powered by electricity, what you need to do is take it and plug it into an outlet, and then you got some power. That is, if your outlet is connected to the power source. Yeah? It's got to be. Have, did y'all notice the big tent out here on the other side of the parking lot? Anybody, if you saw the big tent, raise your hand. I'm going to see. Okay, it's pretty obvious. If you didn't see it because you came on, on this side of the building, swing around. Big tents out there. Got a secondary tent out there. That means, Gail, that means adoptive family is tomorrow. When the tent is up, adoptive family is tomorrow. We've had that tent out there for years. What, what happens in that tent is that after these kids have gone through our building and, and have been treated royally, they'll have a, a sit-down meal with their family. Uh, they're going to get to go through and, and have all kinds of great things happen. They get pictures with Santa. They get, to, they get to eat in the cookie room. They get to go to another room and, and shop for their parents, receive free gifts that they can give to their parents. Uh, they, they just get all kinds of great things. They get to go back and have their hair cut by a professional haircutter, beautician and barber. All right, Just all kinds of great things happen in the building. And then at the climax of that, they leave the building, they'll go across the parking lot, and this year see the live nativity. And then they go into the big tent. And it's in the big tent that they get to go into this little special room just for them. And they are given their gifts that you bought and you wrapped for them. Pretty amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. These kids, I like to go to the tent to watch them because they're li their faces light up and, and they're so happy and proud. They're getting some stuff that they, they wouldn't get otherwise because you provided it for them. So you see how important the tent is? We've had a problem for all these years because it, that, that tent takes a whole lot of power to run. There's, that we need heat out there. We need lights out there, not only in the tent, but all around it. What we've done before is run generators out there, but they, they, they are loud. They, they run on diesel. It smells, and sometimes they, they quit running, and we don't have the power to run the lights. And, and so Steve Jones had a brilliant idea this year. Let's just run power to the tent. So Larry Thomas, he, he did all the electrical work out there and got everything set up with the post. And then OG&E through Brother Mitch had, came out and they, they drug a, dug a, a trench to, to the power source. And the guy who did that is a friend of mine named Mark Harmon. No relation, but he's a good guy. He used to ride motorcycles with us. He laid the, the power line and then OG&E came out. And you know what? They connected it. They hooked it up. And now, if you go out there behind the tent, we've got all these outlets out there. There is enough, David, there is enough power out there on the other side of that tent to light up a small city. Because that's what we're going to do tomorrow night. My whole point in telling you that, that story is, is simply, simply this. You don't have the light and the power in your life that you need. You don't have the power source to light up your life. You, 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 you don't have the power to run your own lights. So we've got to plug into another power source. And the Bible says the only source that can light up your life is Jesus. Jesus said you don't have light. You're in the dark. Here, come plug into my life and you're going to have the light that you need. Let me close by telling you a little more about this light. Verse 5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. 
I think it was last Sunday that I preached on hell. Was that last Sunday? Okay. I've gotten more comments about that sermon than any I've preached in a long time. And the comments that I've heard the most is from you is this. You, you had either forgotten or had never realized how dark hell really is. It's outer darkness. And I can tell you the reason hell is so dark, Jesus is not there. Huh? In your copy of the Scriptures, you may have a footnote here that explains the word comprehend. It says the light shines in the darkness and the dark, darkness did not cop, comprehend it. The word really means overpower. The darkness did not, cannot overpower. That is, the darkness cannot extinguish the light. And, and we all know that's true. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness does not overcome light. You walk into a room and you flip on the, the switch and turn on the light. The light overcomes the darkness. You can't walk into a room of light and turn on the darkness. doesn't work that way. Light overcomes darkness, not vice versa. And your life is dark. Our world is dark. And the only hope for you or this world is the light of Jesus Christ. I read this past week about a man named Christian. What an interesting first name. Christian. His name had not always been Christian, though. He was a former Buddhist monk from Thailand. He moved to the United States and his life began to spiral downward. He spent some time in, in prison and then he got out and was searching for something that would give meaning to his life. He was he was literally searching for God whether he knew it or not. One afternoon he went home and in his living room he turned on the TV and there on the first channel that it, the TV came to was a preacher, just a preacher, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was intrigued by something the man said and so he, he sat there and he listened. And as he listened, he heard a clear explanation of the truth of God's Word. Did you know that this word can convict a person's life whether they're looking for it or not? And so the Word of God spoke to his heart that day and in his living room, he knelt down, he confessed his sins, and in his living room, he invited Jesus into his heart. Right then, God changed him, turned him into a new person. Later on, he changed his name to Christian to signify the big change that had come into his life. And today he is planning on going back to Thailand as a missionary. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the life giver. He is the light giver. So if you're here today and you're lost, you're groping around in the darkness, you need to come to Jesus. He is the only one who can change your life. Why? Because He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Your name needs to be in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way it can be written there is for you to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now I want to stop right here and say something that we've over my series in John chapter 3, I've really been pushing, you must believe, because that's what it takes to believe in Jesus. But you know what? There's, there's, that's what it takes to get saved. But you know what? After you're saved, there is a life to live. Jesus changes your life. He transforms you. You become a new creation, a new creature. Therefore, you've got to live a different way. 
You can't just go on doing the same old things that you used to do, living the way the world lives. You've been changed by the grace and power of Jesus, and you need to live that way. And the only way you can live that way is by daily being plugged into the source of life and light, Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're here today and, and you're away from Jesus. You need to come today and get, get plugged back into Him. And then for the rest of us, today is the day that we come and pray for adopt a family. And so I invite you to come today and pray for what's going to happen here tomorrow night as these 165 families step foot on this property and come into this building. It is my prayer, church, that they would see through your face and hear through your voice the love of Jesus and to be able to experience a life change. That's only going to happen if we come and pray for them and if we show the love of Jesus Christ to them tomorrow night. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would do something amazing during this time of prayer. Lord, for the person or people who need to come and give their heart to You, may they have freedom to do it. For those who need to rededicate their life to You, may they come and do that. 